Welcome to the Sprocket Podcast, where we are simplifying the good life. I'm Guthrie Straw. And I'm Aaron Flores, broadcasting from the People's Republic of Portland, nestled in the heart of Cascadia. We are the show that brings you somewhat irreverent conversations about the intricacies of thinking locally, with a global perspective, and enjoying the best that life has to offer along the way. Covering bicycling, trains, transit, adventures, and life hacks, and today, the weirds. Uh, that's right. We've got Joshua Force <laughs> here in the studio this evening. Joshua, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about what you do. Oh, my. I am a street artist, and I, to the best of my ability, come up with curious public installations, and I, I ask people who are going about their business to make a discovery. So... The style that I've been working on mostly as of late is called a weird search puzzle. And they're filled with anything but letters. It's based on a word search. And typically you would play a word search in the language that you speak. So there'd be uh, things to look for in a big field of letters. It could be backwards or diagonal. In the mine, I'm using symbols or bars of music or drawings. I've, uh, one of the ones I used for a long time was filled with emojis. And when people walk by, I ask them if I'd like to find a weird in my weird search. And every so often, somebody or a group of people will stop and they'll play along for some amount of time. We'll talk, and that's maybe the beginning of a, a longer conversation I have with some people. But for most people, it's one, one discovery and they're on their way, which is, awesome. co- which is cool, actually. Yeah, totally. And uh, we, we have a lot of questions to get into um, real quick before we dive in because there's a lot to talk about um we should we should catch up for the week yeah how, how are yeah. you doing this week aaron um this this week is uh is pretty good today specifically is a is a uh, momentous occasion oh yeah yeah um i don't know if you notice what's over there in that corner you have a bicycle in that corner there's there's a bicycle in that corner speaking of weird that's weird. <laughs> it's it's weird for me, at least within the last few months. Mm-hmm. Today is my very first day on a bicycle since I broke my collarbone. Congratulations. Yes, I, yes so excited. I was cleared by the doc today. They're like, just go slow and don't fall. And I've so far succeeded on one of those things. Nice. <laughs> you... Didn't, didn't fall. fall. Didn't oh, fall. good. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, you, you I, don't have the sling, so you must have. But must probably be one by of them. a basis of comparison, I went slow. I went fast okay. for me, which was more than walking or, right, or transiting. Right, which was faster than a walking pace. I did just bike to the the Mac station from my house, and then from the Mac station to here. Uh, not going to go all out quite yet. Okay. Take it easy for day one. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Uh, how was it getting back in the saddle? Um, so I, I'll be honest, my shoulder was a little bit achy. Mm. Um, I'm leaning forward probably more than most people would for their first ride, but that is my most upright bike right there. Mm-hmm. Um, but my legs, it was like sitting in the starting blocks. Like right before a race, like I've done my warm up and now my legs are like, okay, let's go, let's go, come on, mm. what's next? Okay, let's go, come on. The anticipation. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
nice and like i'm already feeling? here i'm like well we're, we're done guys <laughs> you're just you're just gonna have to chill out for a little bit longer <laughs> yeah i mean you were i wouldn't say you were you like you were going a little stir crazy Oh, most definitely. Okay. I was, going crazy. <laughs> I, was, I was like, I was like, I, that don't, is... I don't like negatively connotate that word, but like stir crazy is not a good feeling to have. No, no, certainly not. Yeah. Um, I, I made sure to go on walks as much as I could. Um, it's easy for me to demotivate myself, uh, especially like when you're biking, you warm up, you're, you're moving a little bit more when you're walking, eh, not so much. Mm. And these last few days when the wind was more chilly than I wanted it to be, mm-hmm. uh, it was easy to go like, eh, I think I'll just stay in. But mm-hmm. uh, luckily I have a very persistent partner yeah. that will uh, uh, give me destinations. Okay. <laughs> uh, She's like, Aaron, get out of the house. <laughs> Essentially. We gotta, we gotta go check out this pizza place and, and their menu for uh, for our moving day. Oh, yeah. Or we got to go over to this uh, coffee place and check out what they've got. Yeah. So I was, I'm fortunate enough for that in my life. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's it's nice to see you back on the bike. It's nice to see yes. you in one piece. It's, it's nice but to be back on d- the bike. Does that mean that the shoulder blade is fused again or it's like or the yeah um yeah shoulder blade collarbone (laughs) potato potato yeah mostly there is just a little bit of space uh towards the top and the doc's like eh that'll that'll fuse together in like a matter of weeks oh sweet so so name of the game like don't crash she was she was doing like all these exercises with like you know um sort of like i i'm uh pushing my hands out as she's pushing them in and then at one point she just like puts her hand on, on my shoulder and like presses down really hard. And she's like, does that hurt? It's like, no. But I was like really, mm. really concerned for a minute. Cause like it was just all at once. Yeah. She's like, see, you'll be fine. And uh, our listeners, yeah, <laughs> our listeners can't see it, but uh, Aaron was gesturing with his hands and his <laughs> elbow and right arm went above the 90 degree mark. Look at that ah, range. Ah, oh God, <laughs> I'm still scared. <laughs> Well, they say it's okay. Yeah, then it's I, okay. I do notice like the muscles get tired a lot easier, mm-hmm. um, and so I gotta keep up with physical therapy for a while. Gotcha. Yeah, stick stick with that regimen. It's there yeah. for a reason. Have Correct. You, have you broken bones before? This was my first. Yeah. Yeah. How about you? Uh, once in my foot, I fell uh, really close to my house uh-huh. on a bike. Oh, it was a plastic bag, and it was like the block that I lived on and I was t- turning and the front wheel slid out and I twisted, that's, I twisted that's my foot. how mine went. Yeah. Out. Okay. Yeah. And so did you put your foot down to like brace yourself? And I think it's the way it, I twisted or... it in the toe clip. Oh, okay. It was really strange. And it was a small, as they all are, bone in my right foot. Mm-hmm. And I stood up on it quickly and it hurt so badly mm-hmm. that I knew something was yeah. particularly different from my other falls. I've heard the like, yeah. Even the small bones, a while ago, those bro. can hurt too. Oh, it's so painful! I couldn't yeah. walk. That's where, um, like, whenever I take a fall these days, I've been gonna like knock on wood, even if it doesn't do anything. <laughs> sure. Like, have not yet broken a bone, but uh-huh. like, I, I'm just kind of like waiting for my ticket to be up, basically. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I don't think I have yet because I hear it hurts a lot, and like, I only hurt medium right now. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Yeah. I, what what did it feel like? So yeah, for you. 
I I've taken a lot of falls. Uh huh. Um, some of which maybe I have like broken or cracked ribs before, and just mm-hmm. sort of I wouldn't say shook it off, but kind of mm-hmm. uh uh played through it, mm-hmm. so to speak. Um, what really caught me, what I knew something like you get that moment when you know something is wrong, like your body's like, no, uh. no, we're not going any farther. Uh-huh. Um, was when, yeah, I started to try to put weight on that arm. And, and as soon as, as soon as I even just thought about doing that, like I, I could just feel sort of my body tensing up and I grabbed the handlebars and, like alarms just go off in my brain. Like, nope, we're not doing this. You're going to the hospital. Uh huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The body. Yeah. It's it's nice that for a lot of things it gives you it gives you that guidance. Not everything. <laughs> <laughs> what well, you said you rode the bus a lot in in between. Yes. Yeah. So Is I'm that... I mostly transited. Okay. Um. And ironically, I was on my. Well, I, I think I've mentioned this a hundred times already, but uh. ironically, I was on my way to uh, mm-hmm. the Mac station. Ah. Uh. Um. Because I knew it was going to be too icy to ride all the way to work. Ah. Uh. Mm-hmm. Well, we are getting into spring, so yeah. I know we we had a couple of. I mean, it wasn't really like icy days this week but it was definitely cold like it could Mm -hmm. be yeah they were Um, predicting like up in the upper elevations um ice mm -hmm. and possibly snow i don't know if it ever got any well i remember one time this week i was up super late my sleep schedule has been a little weird this lifetime um but i was like out walking at like one or two and i saw a couple of flakes come down this week and i was like yes yes go 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 (laughs) Um, and then like by the the time i got (laughs) Back around the block, it had stopped, and yes. it was sad. I, I thought about texting you guys because <laughs> it was it was like kind of close to when you get up, <laughs> but would it would it be by a couple hours? So, well, we we this, might still this, get some snow. This time last year it was freezing. Mm-hmm. And it snowed a little bit, I think. Yeah, I, I know it was freezing. I don't remember if it snowed much or not, but I think yeah, we got a little bit. I think the big one, a little bit. I remember yeah. what was it back in twenty seventeen was kind of the last big one, mm. something like that. It's they all start to blend together after a while. <laughs> I've been uh, reading temperatures in Kelvin recently. Oh, nice! Yeah, it was two hundred and eighty-four degrees today. How is it? Um, <laughs> do you find yourself getting like as you read more in Kelvin? Uh, how do you find your accuracy? Uh, sort of your your it's bracketing. A, it's getting better. Okay. Yeah, uh, I'm pretty new to this, but it was a it was like so many things. I was trying to get um, the weather on my computer to show hour by hour and instead it just switched it from Fahrenheit to Kelvin nice. and then I was like oh that's fun so yeah I've been attempting to run with that oh totally. see where it goes everybody I've told so far without the context that it's Kelvin thinks it's a joke oh okay but oh right because right. they're like accurate <laughs> <laughs> than anyone else <laughs> my measurement <laughs> is absolute yeah exactly. very good even even you <laughs> celsius folks right yeah we could just jump right over that metric system be damned that's correct mm-hmm. yes yeah i had a um a, a conversion error today Uh-oh. speaking of like converting um i had a uh web post for my blog that i didn't realize was based in bulgaria uh. and so when they sent the bill i was like sweet i've got six months to pay that uh. and then i realized that it was oh yeah they switched their date their uh years and their months oh and so oh. <laughs> it was mm-hmm. it was eight days overdue uh. oh yes and i i okay. got on i got on chat support and i was like sorry for 
my American brain. <laughs> and but they were they were pretty cool about it. They must have encountered that before. Oh, I'm sure. Well, yeah. yeah, in my in my mind, I was like, well, they're they're great at customer service. Like they're actually a fantastic uh, mm-hmm. company, and they they do what they do super well. Mm. Uh, which is why I was like happy to re up with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like in my like one percent of my brain was like, you know, you probably had this problem before because I'm probably not the first person yeah it seems unlikely but at the same time like eh, whatever it you you hop on you get instantly connected to somebody they're like sweet here's your new invoice and then you pay it and i was like huh this is what a painless customer service experience feels like Mm. cool uh they they can be a little rare depending on what pools you play in (laughs) Um, so yeah it it was all good but yeah I, i kind of came to them with my tail between the legs because of my dates getting mixed up by a bit but it's good it's good practice for new zealand uh so that i don't you know show up to the airport like a year behind time or something like that um start start to move my brain in that direction um yeah not nothing too new with me this week i guess i've been reading books as i do and um we were talking a little bit before the show uh but bears repeating uh got a bike fit this week oh, and yeah. uh Went over to Gladys Bikes, where Natalie took some time with me and got me all dialed in. And our regular listeners may recall um, that about five or six years ago, I got a bike fit as well uh, from the folks down at Pedal PT. And but it wasn't that long ago, was it? It was long enough. Yeah. It it was long-ish. I think it was when I got back from my uh, tour down to San Diego, which would have been like 2013, okay. 2014. Uh, so it's, it's at least as far back as 2015, I feel like. Um, and that, that was easily like in the bike world, the best money I had ever spent. Um, but then I adjusted my seat a lot and gotten a couple of bike crashes as, as you do yeah. and, you know, switched around some things. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I've been having like some knee popping trouble and I figured if I'm going to be biking for a long time, it's probably good to see why those knees are popping. Um, and, the, uh, love pedal PT with all my heart, uh, but. Uh, Gladys was a tiny bit closer and had some really good schedule availability. And I'm always happy to spread around the love oh, yeah. in terms of uh, our, our various bike industry folks here in town. So um, yeah, went and had great conversation and a excellent bike fit. So uh, I was amazed because uh, it was uh, an upright fit. So it's still like a touring fit. Uh, but Natalie's also super good at getting people uh, kind of to their good point of efficiency and uh, we had some really good conversations about just kind of like the role of, I guess, the the flexibility and the evolution of the human body and then how like bike fitting kind of goes against a lot of that because you're asking the body to stay in one position and just have like maximum output. And so the, the job is ah, kind of like, yeah, it's to make it's to make improvements to the body and to the structure, but it's also kind of like paradoxical to the function of the body or at least if you look at uh, like the bike industry, what they're doing by setting standards is they're trying to give you uh, very immobile options. And so her job is to find kind of like that sweet spot between immobility and mobility, uh, where comfort and uh, you know to a degree performance shine through. Right on. Yeah. Um, we should have her on the show. She's great. To talk <laughs> to. Well, I'll, I know who to send an email to after, <laughs> after we stop recording. Yes. Um, but yeah, it was, it was really great. Had a good time. And um, I was just astonished because I hopped on the bike. And um, like I had definitely adjusted some stuff and was not 
very comfortable, nor was I getting very good efficiency. And I, I, I usually average around like nine miles an hour, nine to 10. Uh-huh. I'm pretty, like, I haven't tossed a, a odometer on or anything. I'm pretty confident I'm like cruising right around 12.5 or 13 now. Yeah. It's like, it's nuts. <laughs> um, so yeah. You mentioned you were, the, you were the fastest biker on Vancouver. Today. Yeah, I was pushing it, but, <laughs> uh, and it wasn't like, it, I, was, I was rushing to the uh, studio to uh, make it on time for the recording. So that, there was a there was a method behind the madness. Uh, usually I, I just go whatever is comfortable. But <laughs> it was kind of fun to push it and see and just be like, oh, shit. What the? Like, I almost, I don't know. I'm still kind of in the afterglow of it. I was like, right on. wow, yeah, I've yeah. not ridden that fast. In, I don't <laughs> think I've ever ridden that fast, actually. Like, we were doing the um, Cranksgiving a couple yes. of months back. And, like, we were hoofing it oh and yeah i like same deal like if i had had the bike fit prior to that uh-huh. like i just kind of cringed you would have been leading the I, pack well i just well I, I don't i think i'm pretty sure maria's team still would have beat us um, <laughs> but like oh yeah no, uh, no. i, I would have been going they're like, ringers even faster. it's like a team of ringers over it, there <laughs> oh totally well I, it's i feel like it's in the fast enough to like get yeah. hurt category so i'm like uh, slow yeah, down yeah. think look ahead of you watch good for point. potholes good point um and mostly, like, be open to change and realize that change means that you are, uh, that you need to reevaluate, like, your body's, um, like, composition in the world. Uh, and I was reminded of that lesson, uh, like, the day after I got the fit because I was cutting onto the sidewalk and I totally uh, body checked a uh, telephone box. Oh! <laughs> because I was an inch and a half higher than yep. I usually am. Oh. So I was like, oh, a telephone oh. box. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> but I did not break my collarbone. I just got a nice bruise. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. bruise is better than a break. <laughs> yes, this is true. Um, well, we didn't come here to talk just about bruises and breaks. Taking a break from bruises, we did come to chat with Josh. Nice. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, like that? <laughs> it's, like you, it's like you planned it. That's amazing. O- only as far as my brain can overthink itself. Um yeah. <laughs> well done. We we should chat weirds. We should chat Portland. Um we were emailing a little bit we before did. the show mm-hmm. and uh sort of came to the realization you you had a part in the Who Whacked Fairless Square, mm-hmm. uh, which was a dual venture in addition to a lot of other volunteer help uh with Michael Anderson That's way correct. back in the day. That's right. And um I was recalling that that was quite literally my introduction to portland was mm. participating in that scavenger hunt mm-hmm. so uh, a long overdue thank you uh, yeah. for putting that together of course um yeah where, where should we start uh i since we brought that up i would say and this is how i talked about it in the email too there were a tremendous number of people involved which you referenced involved with that and it was great the idea was for mike and i to launch the app for portland afoot and we wanted to get a whole bunch of people alive in the moment, and it just kept snowballing, and more people got involved, and a whole theatrical side got built out, and a whole back end to like track people's progress. But it was started from conversations Mike and I had, where uh, I, I used to work at Zipcar years ago, and I was sitting in the office looking at a gigantic map of the city, and Mike was pressing me for like what we were going to do for the introduction of the app, and... I was like, let's use the city. And it that started from there. So nice. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Nice. That that represented a a, a moment that uh 
I feel like a lot of people really got uh, a great experience. Yeah. My favorite part of that one was when we sent the dragon boats across the Willamette. Yeah. Because it was prior to the Tilikum crossing. And that that was, I thought, the signature on the on the game. Besides all all the other things that were going on, we surprised people by loading them into dragon boats and sending them across the river as a as a precursor to the Tilikum crossing. Yeah, that was super fun. I remember just being like, wait, what? Like, that's a thing? And there's these people here and, oh, hey, we're getting on a dragon boat. Like, it just, mm-hmm. it was all so well, uh, it was in- incredibly well executed. It was incredibly well coordinated. Mm. And it looped in so many different uh, kind of like circles of fun within mm-hmm. Portland is maybe the way I'd put it. Yep. Um, while encouraging people in a very um, like active manner to mm. get out and onto public transit. Yeah, we were stoked about that. We had a lot of fun. We we used to host a meetup group where people would have the ability to come in and we'd come up with weird ideas and launch them. And it was an adjunct to Portland Afoot, but a lot of stuff ended up being covered by Portland Afoot or contributing in some way to the vision of Portland Afoot. And uh, a lot of that credit goes to Mike, of course, who's, who's awesome. Yeah. Uh, but the yeah the game was really cool. It uh, it did allow a tremendous number of people to participate, and a, a lot of the people who participated were people that just came to play, and that that was amazing because the game, of course, would have been a complete failure if, if we were hosting it and nobody showed up. But yeah, <laughs> I would say more than a few people showed up. <laughs> yeah, I, it felt like uh, yeah there was I don't, I don't know what the final numbers were at least a hundred or something. Like oh that. yeah, yeah over even. Yeah, it was it was such one of those things that like, I never again would it ever possibly come together in such a fashion. There were just so many contributions from so many different people. the The shift to making it about a fictitious individual was a big uh, contribution to the theatrical elements, and that was specifically from Jeff Strange. And he was saying how if a rock is on the top of a cliff and it's about to fall. Nobody really cares, but if there's a house underneath it, then everybody cares. Ah. So, yeah, that was like, oh, yeah, that's true. And at the same time, it was when the free transit in the center of the city, Fairless Square, was going to go away. And so that was a sort of epiphanistic contribution to what became this totally thought-out theatrical uh, element. And a lot of that credit goes to Becca Pretty, who uh, did a lot of the recruiting for the the actors and wrote a lot of the scripts and stuff there there were a ton of people (laughs) at that time (laughs) i i i went back recently and uh watched the uh kickstarter for the app that we were going to do because portland foot was going to transition to to an app and that was that was a lot of fun too so it was a long long trajectory up to the game and a lot of people involved all throughout there I th- I kind of like how communities just kind of come together. Things happen. Some some connections are made, and then it, it's it always has happened. It's still there in a sense, but people move on to other things, and so it yeah. was cool. It was a it was a big defining part of my life at that time. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Well, and you've kind of been into the game making in yeah. a sense ever ever since. Then. Yeah. Um, ha- like what? Well, it's what... funny that you brought that up because I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I did that other thing." That's yeah. right. Well, tell us about about that other thing. Sure. So, what's the <laughs> what's the transition? Or you know, did did you have sort of the spark of innovation around that point, and that sort of led it, led into um a lot of the stuff that you work on now? 
Uh, yes. The short answer is yes. I was thinking about this, and in college at some point, I had this idea that I wanted to change the world. And that was very, very open-ended. And life, there's lots of life. In coming to Portland, I realized that there was a city here that I felt like I could participate in. And I've been looking for ways to do stuff while in Portland and looking at people who are doing stuff and to just say a word about Mike and at that time Portland afoot, he was representative of somebody who had this idea that I thought was awesome and I wanted to participate in whatever way I could. So it definitely was a big inspiration to see somebody that was doing independent work that spoke to the kinds of things that I cared about. And at that time I definitely was still working but uh, I had somewhere around there realized that I was going to have to do independent work and that going out for another job was going to bring the same sort of pain that the one I already had was giving me because that's just, that's just what it is. Um, The process to get to where I am now is a lot of just perseverance in terms of trying out lots of things and failing miserably in, in a lot of ways and embarrassing myself and making mistakes and, uh, just not quitting. And I'm always looking for something that I can connect with to, to, to people generally, but it's always about people specifically, like who, whoever is standing in front of you at that moment. But my work has attempted to elicit a kind of curiosity. It makes me dig into my own creativity, and that's a lot of times something I can connect with other people. So... That's always the challenge, and a lot of the statements I make are uh, things like, what is left? And for me, there's a deep-seated practice of ambidexterity that I got into, so I'm right-handed, and my practice is to draw every day, and I'll do one day with my left hand, and one day with my right hand, and left hand, right hand. And so that's kind of the, the basis. None of that really becomes part of my commercial work, and a lot of my work has to be commercial because it costs money to... Live. <laughs> you gotta eat. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, <laughs> that, that, yeah. It is what it is. I think everybody, just as a basic statement, I think everybody is figuring out how to be a person in this world. You're trying to become aware of the world as it is. As you spend time in it, you're like becoming more apprised of the kind of world that we live in. And then you're trying to figure out specifically what you can do in order to speak to your own self and to the things that you think are cool, the things that you value and the type of world that you want to see. And there's a lot of possibility. So a lot, what I'm doing in a, in a way is making a, 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 a search for what is possible for me, what, what I could do that would allow me to like survive this world and, and still kind of like honor the things that I think are cool or worthwhile or, uh, yeah, and some a lot of it's my own curiosity. So, generally speaking, <laughs> yeah. And so you've struck upon um, the weirds, and you mentioned there's been different iterations of them. Um, I really like it, like because we've run into each other a few times around town. Yes, and uh, it, there's always good conversation to be had and fascinating things to interact with. Uh, you. We're talking a little bit about the puzzle creation process right? and how, um, you know, symbols or letters are just mm-hmm. symbols and how yes. there's a lot of sort of uh, 
room for interpretation yes. in the, I guess, display of the work that you do mm-hmm. and, and how you uh, portray that to the public. Do you want to talk a little bit about that creation yeah. process or, or some of the inputs that you consider? I would be happy to. I think it might be worth uh, backing up a half a step and just kind of redefining the way people would encounter me. Okay. Because it's possible that some of the listeners are familiar with my work, but I suspect that most people haven't ever seen my stuff. Yeah, And um, so I would say that, generally speaking, somebody's walking down the street and they become aware that there's something going on. Um, My work is pretty stripped down. I don't have, like, flashing lights or... Uh, I'm not nece- not necessarily dancing, although sometimes. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I tend to be close to things that are already happening. So um, I wouldn't generally say, I'm going to be here at this time. You know, everybody come down and see me. I, I basically am close to things that are already happening. So I'll typically be on a pedestrian street of some kind. It's the winter. I kind of get my days started later. So it's usually dark when I'm out. And for that reason, I'm close to things that are well lit. Uh, I don't bring all my own equipment in that sense. So I, I just have large puzzles. So if you did come near me, you'd notice that I have these, these huge works. They tend to be about five feet wide by about three feet tall. And I, uh, you could notice that I've strung them up using rope. And there is a process by which I got to that. Uh, about two years ago, I was working on uh, one side of the puzzle that I didn't have a public display for. I was just out talking to people, uh, a lot like you would see a canvasser doing. So, like, whatever, name your canvasser on the street trying to tell you about. You time to talk about clean water? <laughs> <laughs> Could you spare a couple moments? To talk that, about that's food. how I got my start, yeah. it, it, public facing. Yeah. Uh, that was... I imagine, like, <sighs> there's, a, there's a similar skill set, yeah. right? Yeah. I, I was a professional canvasser for, right for a while. Uh, and I moved around the country for better than five years canvassing. Really? Oh, yeah. <gasps> yep. I've done it here locally, but uh-huh. just sort of like locally as temporary mm-hmm. jobs. I'd never really thought about like taking it as a <laughs> yeah. as on the road, so to speak. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, I, it was a way that I could move to places I had never lived before. I moved right here as a canvasser. I okay. was working for a, an outfit that had uh, picked me up in Portland, Maine. Uh-huh. I lived in Maine for a long time, and I moved to Albuquerque with them. And Albuquerque was really cool, and uh, I didn't think that I wanted to stay there, but I had gotten right. to the point where I like wanted to stay somewhere because I was doing political organizing work through through the canvassing methodology for quite quite some time. Uh, prior to that also before I was like a professional canvasser and I had wanted to live somewhere because when you're organizing and moving around it's cool and you're you're expressing your values and stuff but you're always talking to people that you've never met before you're kind of telling them what to do you're not invested in that community really right. you're going to move again and for a while that really made sense for me because I knew where I didn't want to live like I had I'm from New England and I I didn't want to live there and I've been i've lived in i've lived in a lot of states uh, and there weren't any of them up until the point that i got to portland where i was like oh yeah yeah this is good and in, for whatever reasons there are a lot of things i like about portland and i knew it early like right away actually mm-hmm. uh so that helped me settle that aspect of my life to like be in a place it's like okay this is a place where i want to be and then it became a process of like figuring out how i'm going to be in that place and that's a lot of the investigation I've been making for 
that 10 years, I'll be here for 10 years in April. Yeah. So, and, yeah. And in a sense, um, you know, the work you do, it is, it is placemaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, you know, being present, showing up and mm-hmm. having those interactions. Like, I, I'm curious, uh, like if you sort of tune in, how many, how many folks that you interact with, do you think it's the first interaction or, you know, cause sometimes folks will walk by and they'll be like a little bit curious oh, and sure. then they'll like maybe go do a thing or two and then they'll walk by again and they'll be like, Oh yeah. Okay. And then, yeah. you know, because, <laughs> because you're so <laughs> consistent with, uh-huh. with sort of um, your approach to it, like similar, we were talking um, last episode about just being present and mm. being available mm-hmm. and being uh, consistent in, in like where you are. Oh, sure. Uh, and so I'm curious if you have folks that you're, you know, you're like, oh yeah, they walked by me like three or four or five times or like yeah. the sixth time we had a great conversation or, or, you know, that sort of approach. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, anecdotally, and I guess a lot of things are anecdotal. Uh, I spoke to somebody recently who said that they had seen me a lot and they just had never, had never come over to, to talk. And uh, they're a person who makes art and they're, wanting to be more serious about the art that they do. So that's that ended up being a lot of what our conversation is about because I am celebrating six years of being totally independent as an artist in this March. Right on. Yeah. Wow. Congrats. Yeah. yeah. Five years was pretty cool. Three years was like, oh, I think I kind of know what I'm doing now. Like, I mm. think I've <laughs> sort of like figured out a thing I yeah. actually want to stick with. And that was like when I got to puzzles. So I was okay. doing a Sudoku style. And so uh, for my truly independent work is uh, I did dog bow ties. And I tra- transitioned out of that into coloring books. The coloring books were drawn with my right hand. I wanted to color because I'm like marketing a coloring book. So I was like, oh, I'll color with my left hand. And in doing that, I started drawing with my left hand. And that's the same time I started doing puzzles. So my original puzzles were Sudoku puzzles without numbers. So if you take, a lot of people know this. For me, I think it was a realization that Sudoku puzzles don't need numbers. Like, it felt like an original thought. I don't know that I haven't seen it It feels original to me, (laughs) (laughs) because this is is kind of eye-opening right now for me. (laughs) Uh, I've been working in a lot of games that typically are seen in a certain kind of way, but don't need to be. So uh, Sudoku puzzles typically contain numbers, I would argue that that is the most well-known set of squiggly lines on the planet. So whatever culture you happen to come from and whatever you call those things, you definitely know them. They represent an idea to you and you know them in a sequence. Yeah. So like if I was to ask you, you know, a mix-up group of one through nine, what's missing, like if one was missing, it'd be very easy for you to be, oh, it's the five. Right. Oh, there's no three there, obviously. So if you, that's a lot of what Sudoku is. Okay. By, yeah. Yeah. By the way, uh, so if you get rid of that and use original things, it, it takes a lot more of your attention. You've got to pay much closer attention to what you're doing, and mind you, don't see them as a sequence as much as you do. Yeah, you don't have names okay. for them at all. Right. Right. Okay. And it, the easier ones to do are ones that the images are representational, so you can call them something. It's like, okay, I've got a boat and a cherry and a squiggle and whatever. And you collect the nine in your head. You can look around the board too, but the best thing is to to not have to look at it to figure out what's missing. Otherwise, you're always like kind of like losing your place. 
So that's a, that's a style of game. It, it's a terrible style to work on, if anybody was wondering, because people that like Sudoku usually like numbers. So if you get rid of numbers, you've included everybody <laughs> that likes Sudoku. Oh, no. And people that don't play Sudoku already have no interest in playing Sudoku at all. <laughs> and they're, so they're not taken in either. Uh, I'm being a little bit of a, uh, a joker, but... Um, yeah, that that's what got me started on puzzles coming out of coloring books. And mm. what I'm working on now and what has proven to be the most popular thing by far that I've done, and I've, I've done other stuff too, but uh, is the weird search. Mm-hmm. And so the big puzzles, when, when people see me on the street, nine times out of ten are versions of weird search puzzles for a couple of reasons. So in terms of the street performance, I can tell you in an instant what it is because you already know what it is. It's like you already know how to play this game it's a it's like a word search. So these are what you're looking for and they're over here. And people are like, "Oh, oh yeah. It's a it's a word search." And they a lot of times when you're doing this this is one of my favorite things. So, uh people make a noise often when they get something. Uh like, that that, uh, that was the noise, yeah, right there. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's the noise. Yeah. yeah. You like you'll explain something to somebody, it's clear that they didn't quite understand it and then they do. Uh-huh. Because they make that noise. They're like, "Oh, and then, and that's all they need. Then, however long they want to spend there is their choice. And my my goal is to create something that allows a person to participate for a very short period of time and have a little bit of satisfaction. So they find something, they circle it. I cheer for them, and they can walk off if they choose to. Uh, and the nice thing about weird search puzzles or word searches generally is that there's lots of things to find. So if you wanted to stick around and find all of them, that's you can do that. Um, my puzzles are right now, generally speaking, things that you write on with a wet erase marker, and then I erase it. So they're they're covered, and I make them out of packaging tape. Okay. Yeah, wow. they're laminated. It's about ten hours to <laughs> make a big one. Yeah. But they last. I, I had a series of stuff that I had fabricated in the large format that was almost two years old. I made it for like. I still have a puzzle that I that I could bring out that's two years old. It's a little beat up, but it would work. I it couldn't get rained on now. They the the if they're if they're made correctly and they don't get holes in them, which they can, um you, you can rain on it. And we live in Portland and it rains all the time. So yeah. my work has to <laughs> withstand uh, even a downpour. Totally. And that's why I don't use a lot of electronics also. Mm. Because the the gear just can't take it. There's something nice too just about the I guess, yeah, like that analog has been kind of a catchword on the show yeah. as of recent, uh, uh-huh. ever since we had Patrick in. And, you know, it's just like, there's so much digital these days, yep. right? Like there's right. something intrinsically satisfying about yep. grabbing a pen or a marker and mm. interacting with mm. something that is physical, right? both in, uh, you know, I, I guess like in visual, but also in space, mm-hmm. you know, uh, mm-hmm. because we spent so much of the time manipulating different things inside of defined boxes. Mm-hmm. And because of the large format nature of the weirds, they're kind of fun in the sense yep. that you are moving, um, you know, you're moving your brain, but you're also moving through physical space yep. as you interact with them as well. Yep. I, I could, there's a lot of room literally for me to come up with new ideas in this family. So when I think about puzzles, I'm generally thinking about like a family of ideas or a set of relationships. And so a simple way to understand that would be like in a, in a word search or a weird search, the game is such that you have things that you're looking for and then you find them. So that's like essentially the game. And you can play with the parameters that are 
are, are there in order to come up with new stuff. So uh, one thing that I have thought about doing, but I, I haven't gone very far with it yet, would be like what I call the field is where you go looking. So that's the randomized set of uh, symbols. And the key is what you're looking for. So that would be the patterns that you have to go find. So typically when I display a weird search, that's all in one piece and you're just standing there looking at it. Um, but I could split those two and put them at some distance. And so mm-hmm. you could go, this is kind of the problem of how interested any random stranger is. In <laughs> what's going on <laughs> in the street? <laughs> you see, like you make them work too hard and it's just not going to happen. Mm. Um, <laughs> so I could send you, uh, from here to there. So instead of just being like right in front of the whole piece, you could try to memorize this sequence and then find it over here. So that, that's another way to, uh, use more physical space. And, and that's the kind of thing that I, I try to think about all the time. Mm. Uh, I've, I've conducted various experiments. A, a lot of times stuff just collapses to its simplest form because it's, it's the easiest to execute. And a lot of what I do is practice. It's just day in, day out, day after day. Uh, in terms of like surviving in this world, I, I tend to call it a system. I don't like to put names on it necessarily. So like surviving in these systems, um, yeah, you got to come up with some amount of money. And the reason, one of the reasons I'm so dedicated to my street practice is like, if I'm not in front of people most days in some form or fashion, I, I won't, I can't, I can't live. Like I I don't have enough money to eat or pay my bills or whatever. So, and it, it sucks, but it's also, I know myself and give, given my own choices, I wouldn't work that hard. Like I'm a very like laid back person. And so, I've actually gone a lot further developing my stuff because I don't have a choice. Mm. I like I I was intentional about like this is how I'm going to survive this world. I'm going to do this independent work. And then by doing that and sticking to it even when it was terrible, I it just it's gone just so much further than it would have otherwise. Like if it was just me kind of casually doing it for fun, I w- I would have quit. Or or never at least developed it to the point that I have now. I just, there's no way I would have put this much effort into it. For your process, um, it, you mentioned, or at least the way I'm interpreting it, is sort of like an iterative nature. Oh yeah. Um, what are some of the like? What are what are some points looking back over those six years that you're like, ooh, that's a lesson learned. Uh, uh, yeah. it, you know, uh, stuff yeah, that kind of for bad like sticks out to you. And I mean, because one of the challenges that you have is you have large format but then mm-hmm. you also are relying on cycling or public transportation mm-hmm. to get to where you're setting up yeah it's fun to just say this quickly when i was in college uh so I, i'm from i'm from a small town in new hampshire at least that's where i was when i uh, left middle school started high school and we like you had a car so before you had a car you we were on bikes and rollerblades and such but like when you were 16 like you really wanted a car everybody yep. wanted a car so I got a car. That was your rite of passage. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so I did the car thing for a while, and I was from a rural place in New Hampshire, even though I was, you could get down to Boston and some, some larger places than where I was from. In any event, in college, years later, I was like, I don't want to have a car anymore. So like over 10 years ago now, 15-something years ago, I was like, I don't, I don't want a car. And that choice set me up for like a totally different lifestyle because it predicated that whether I realized it or not, although I, I did really like, I was living in Portland, Maine. I lived in Portland, Maine for a long time. 
And uh, I went to the I went to the Portland State University of Maine. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yes, yeah, so the University of Southern Maine. Watch people in Portland, Oregon, just like what? what? Yes, <laughs> yes. It's not an outpost. It's a totally different school. <laughs> but it's like you know, mm. it's as diverse as you're going to get. Maine's not a particular, unfortunately, not a particularly mm-hmm. diverse state, uh, but the but the city is and the colleges and it's got a really nice uh, age range too, which was cool. Um, yeah, so I was like, no, nah, no cars. That's that's a, no more cars for me. And uh, I think that in the iterations of my life was like a really profound kind of like switch as to what was going to be possible for me going forward. And it really dedicated me to this idea of like living in a city kind of exploring the possibilities of a city. And I would say, I'm not really answering your question, but I would oh, say also fine. that... Um, you're, you're doing great. <laughs> c- cities are critical in that there's just so many people bouncing around. They're, people are all over the place. And so there's like st- a tremendous number of opportunities to connect with people over like very specific things. Because most people are not into what you're doing at all. And that's fine. Because there's like a small number of people who are. And they're reasonably speaking within the same geographic area that you are occupying and so you can kind of crash into each other whether you meant to or not uh and, and there's something that can come from that uh yeah so um so I, I do i do love cities yeah definitely there um i remember we were chatting one time about uh you know present portland and uh, uh you were pointing out like portland is you know all things considered uh-huh kind of in, in its infancy still and i think there's yes. the tendency to think about time and place in a very like maybe i would say human perspective in the, in the way that we think of things often first in our lifetime human time scale yeah maybe? human time scale right. thank you Aaron. Yeah. uh yeah it, it, uh it, as I a, think, as a metropolis mm-hmm. yeah well and i think uh i think what you're one of the few folks that has pointed out to me you know like hey there's a lot there's a lot more you know that exists past that and i think like i'm mm. able to think uh, in longer time scales about certain things, but I hadn't really thought mm. about Portland from mm-hmm. that perspective before. So mm. that was that was pretty unique. Yeah, Portland's not that old. Uh, this land was taken from indigenous people straight out, and we we all know that. Uh, Portland as a city is couldn't possibly be any older than Lewis and Clark, and Lewis and Clark showed up out here about 1800. So, like... When people start waxing eloquently about the way Portland used to be, I was just like, <laughs> New Portland! I'm like, I don't know what <laughs> you're doing. I don't know why you're doing that. Um, so one so, could say that yeah. all Portland is is New Portland. Sure. Just because we are still in our infancy, we're still figuring oh my things God. out. Yeah. And a little bit of what we were talking about is the, the way that decisions are made. And like... Uh, one thing I find hilarious about humans is that we just don't seem to have any idea what we're doing at all. <laughs> it's it's amazing. Uh, we don't know what to do with our trash. We don't know how to feed ourselves. We, like, don't know what to do when we die. Like, we just don't have anything figured out in a lot of ways, and it, I find it hilarious. Um, so, yeah, one of the things about a city is you would expect that unless something ca- catastrophic happens— this this place that we live in now, for instance, will be around for a ridiculously long period of time with people living in it. And the choices that are made as as we make them will have a lasting impact on 
anybody who happens to live here in the future. Um, so yeah, the timescales are such that it's reasonable to say a thousand years from now, pe people are going to be here and they're going to want to probably the same kind of things that we would like. Uh, so and we could we could decide for that. Uh, I, mm. the, I think the example that I use frequently, and I'm sure it's got all sorts of flaws, is uh, like Forest Park. So I love Forest Park; it's amazing. And somewhere along the lines, like that area was enshrined as a non-human uh, consumer residential geographic area, and they was left that way. And for that gift, people such as ourselves have been able to enjoy some version of nature right in, in the city. And it's incredible. So, yeah, I always ask myself as, as I'm watching things get uh, changed in the city, like how many uh, things are going to really give benefits to whoever happens to be living here a long time in the future. Because mm -hmm. I think it matters. I think it matters a lot. Yeah, and there's definitely like the, I guess, the public good nature of Forest Park. Yeah. Uh, in that anybody can relatively yes. speaking go and access absolutely it. i'm glad yeah. you picked up on that mm -hmm. i i really like things that are accessible to to people generally uh, my work is constrained by uh generally uh visual abilities so there are people who have limited or unique visual abilities so they're, they're not gonna i don't have a lot of stuff for them right now um so there's that so it's it's hard to design for like literally every possible type of human um, but I do work really hard to take things outside of cultures and languages that people are sort of like soaked in because I feel as though a lot of times that can create like a new kind of landscape that will give more people access to something. And that's an exploration that I've been very serious about for a while. I'm, look I'm looking for a, a curious thing that most people would be capable of participating in um and lately i've been using for what it's worth a lot of uh ancient scripts so i've been digging through wikipedia and pulling up like bronze age chinese or like cuneiform uh linear a which is from the island of crete so there's all these libraries online of course of scripts from human cultures from around the world going back as far as they can find them and people turn them into um uh, little little SVGs or JPEGs or whatever. Mm -hmm. So a lot of my puzzles recently have just been me like popping those symbols in because they're beautiful and they, they speak to a, a point in human culture that we've pretty much all lost contact with. And a lot of the cultures that they come from, you know, nobody really justifiably claims. I mean, not, not ancient Chinese, of course. Ancient Chinese definitely has this, this incredible lineage of thousands of years of culture that is like contiguous in a way. And one one of the fun things, just to drift a little bit, about one of the puzzles I put up recently is it contains ancient Chinese in it, and people who speak Chinese are much more likely now to look at it and say, oh, that's something. Uh, some of the figures are still used to an extent in Chinese, and, and that, that's what I'm told now. I, don't, I, d I definitely don't speak Chinese nor ancient Chinese. And with all my stuff, like, I actually have no idea what it means, basically. It's just like a visual representation. It's less about what the symbol means and more about like the collection of the symbols as it pertains to the puzzle. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can construct patterns yeah. out of things. So yeah. So you're becoming familiar with a, a series of visual representations of something and, and that's, 
That's what you're looking for. Right. So you make that discovery. So you can really use anything. I typically will like leave uh, graphic images within their own f- family. So like I don't typically I don't I wouldn't mix like ancient Greek and ancient Chinese and something else. I suppose I could, but uh, usually there's a sort of like aesthetic. Yeah. Uh, no, I get it. Yeah, if you if goes you mix with it a, too much, it's it's almost like. Um, uh, well, it's it's like uh, you have a certain number of notes that harmonize with each other, mm-hmm. you know, and you bring notes from another key. Now you you're sort of jarring the listener, yep. so to speak. Yep. Yep. Do you find in the symbols that you use? Uh, so what you're talking about makes me think of, in some ways, American Sign Language. And okay. there's two general classifications of signs, which would be iconic and symbolic. Uh, and symbolic is like, yep, I recognize what that means because it is um, mm. sort of a universally understandable gesture. Like if mm-hmm. you were driving, right, you'd mimic a wheel and you would move that wheel, thus driving. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas others can be iconic and you have to know what that icon stands for mm-hmm. necessarily to be able to understand the context mm-hmm. and the intent of the sign. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you find yourself uh, identifying or, or seeing patterns similar to that in some of the ancient languages? Oh, yeah, absolutely. If you start, so you're you're talking to a total lay person. So let's put that out front. Uh, a lot of times people will ask me like, so are you a linguist? Are you like... What, are you an artist or whatever? And I'm, I, I typically, I'll, when it comes down to it, I'll be like, well, I'm just a curious person. I'm just curious. So um, to answer that, in the investigations that I've done, if you go to, let's go to cuneiform, which is one I've been looking at recently. So that's a system of writing from Mesopotamia. And uh, it was done with clay. So there was just clay all over the riverbanks, from what I understand, okay? And you could write in it with a reed. There are lots of reeds. So like like that was lines and little kind of indents, and they they kind of look like arrows with, with a lot of straight lines. So um, before that, if you look at the writing systems of that part of the world on the clay tablets, they were highly what, what I'm going to call representational. So I think you said symbolic. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm going to say representational. Yeah, so totally. they like they were like depicting people's faces or cups of beer, and then later they moved to uh, you said iconic. I'm going to say abstract. Okay. So it moved to a more uh, abstraction-based system of re- what I call relational meaning. Um, I think that those are much more flexible uh, because you can sort of watch somebody pretending to be driving a wheel of a car, but they were actually driving a wheel of a boat, and maybe that mattered for the for the mm. thing that they were trying to describe to you. So it's like it's actually um, just better, in my opinion, as a layperson, to get more abstract. Because it actually gives you a lot more flexibility. Mm. And, and that's why, uh, for instance, I think that the writing system that we use with the, the alphabet, I, I don't think anybody would claim that any of those are representational. I don't think the letter A, B, C, D, so on and so forth, like depict specific things. Gotcha. And, uh, yeah. So mm-hmm. they're like, it's to- at that point, it's com- a complete series of abstractions, um, which, which I think is probably the better way to go. When I design my own stuff, when I'm doing my own drawings, for instance, in the search puzzles, there tends to be a mixture of things which are representational. So you see whales and peace symbols and little like leg bones or whatever else, uh, and and abstractions, things that are it's like, well, you know, maybe that is kind of a bit like a, but not really. Uh, and so I kind of like mix those two together. 
Now, in saying all this, I found that if people recognize stuff, they tend to be more drawn to it than if they don't have any connection to it at all. And so one of the things that um, has really stood out for me, my, my most notable puzzle is the first 42 bars of John Coltrane playing My Favorite Things. Mm-hmm. So ah. It's a jazz standard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. W- w- weird search puzzle. I almost always display it if I have room for t- two puzzles because this really funny thing happens when I put that one up there. Uh, people who, sp- I say, speak music, uh, they stop. You can you can't look at anybody and be like this person speaks music they don't speak music there's right. n- there's no way to look at anybody and know if that is a language that they're familiar with or not but they will tell you just by stopping and looking at it mm. and I don't know how many people read music and walk right by it but very frequently people who are staring at it that's going to be the thing I ask them I'm like oh so you you know how, you know music and it's always like, oh yes of course. So, yeah. So, like, people are kind of taken in by stuff that they're already aware of. Um, a lot of my puzzles have been, I said I didn't do mixtures, but one way I do make mixtures of things is I, uh, some, my latest works have been half emojis and half ancient symbols. So it's like half crocodiles and ice cream cones and fireworks, and the other half is like ancient Chinese. And I think that people are just more familiar with that kind of stuff and they feel more comfortable about it. So I've been working on this, uh, <laughs> it's like uh like a mixture of things that you know and that you don't know and, and uh, i again i'm trying to like get people to interact with me and uh just because i think something's cool doesn't mean that anybody else does so i'm like it's like off the top here it's like a palette i'm and i'm like pulling in a little bit of this and a little bit of that and like I'm trying to kind of get people to think in a new way but i also need to give them something that they can stand on. If I go too far, Mm. nobody wants to talk to me, you know? So it's like trying to kind of wiggle that out. Um, And 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 does it come back around on a single idea again? It's like, there's just so many people that walk by that actually most people don't pay any attention to me at all, uh, which is fine. And it's out of like all of those people, just like that's trying to maximize that small subsection of, and, and the people that ignore me, by the way, maybe are just in a hurry or maybe have had, uh, you know, something on their mind and they're, they're not going to stop and talk to anybody under any circumstances, w- which is totally fine. Uh, I very frequently do not engage with people when I'm going about my business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, That's like uh, <laughs> a, another uh, a, a space or a side of the city effect as well, uh-huh. as much as connecting is. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Mm. I feel like I will do a great disservice to our population in general if like after having met me and gone through my little routine, people are less inclined to stop and talk to someone on the street. Gotcha. Yeah. I'm trying, I'm, I'm hoping to create a circumstance where after the person goes through it with me, they're like, Oh, you know what? That was kind of fun. I'm glad I did that. Maybe they have something to think about or or like we had some kind of a conversation that will like, you know, maybe be beneficial to both of us. Yeah, totally. That's always good. Definitely. The, um, I was thinking about just being present and like the analogy that you gave about just kind of like opportunities or overlapping circles. Mm. Um, that, that's definitely something that I think I really noticed. Like, I mean, we're, we're a niche podcast, all things considered. Certainly. (laughs) (laughs) We have the, we have the fortune of having the internet. So we have a, you know, a global audience. Um, 
But, you know, thinking of the bike. The, the bike. vast majority of people walking through the internet mm-hmm. pass us by. Though. This is true. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? That's okay. <laughs> For those that listen in, we appreciate your ears. Um, the Yeah, I hesitate to say like the bike scene because I feel like that's actually too constrictive. Um, but folks who are interested in cycling and, and where there's yeah. any crossover in that interest. Um, Portland's a really cool sort of kettle to bounce around in and, and bounce off of each other in regards to um, I think a lot of the things that make this such a nice place to cycle is the people that you get to interact with when you're cycling and I think for me a lot of what really just keeps me uh, just kind of on my toes in Portland is never knowing what's around the corner and a lot of the reward about just being in one place for a long time is that you have more opportunities to have these interactions and these connections um, that, that you, you you could never make this stuff up. You know, like some no. people, some yeah. people say, you know, like it's a small world, but like it's a, it is a small world sometimes. <laughs> um, this isn't necessarily bike related, but a good example of this would be uh, I took part in a zine workshop by somebody that um, I've been following who's doing a 365 day zine project and mm. she put on a workshop uh, this week. And so when we walked in, she had a bunch of zines, you know, spread over the decades from her experiences mm. here in Portland and um, encouraged each member to pick a zine that they identified with. Um, and our listeners can't see because this is radio. Um, but I have some stickers in the studio this evening and there's a photo of my best friend. And if you look really close, I'm actually standing kind of like in his shadow. I uh, thought that's what that was. Exactly. Okay. Um, and that picture was taken, uh, over a decade ago at this friend's sister's wedding, uh, back where I grew up in Eastern Oregon. And so I walk into the scene workshop and I pick up this book, uh, or the scene that says, um, I can't remember the exact title, but uh, if you live here, you have to get used to, or you have to like the way the wind blows, I, I think is a, a close approximation mm. of the title, which is a quote by one of the residents uh, in Eastern Oregon mm. in the area where I grew up. And I flip open this book and I'm kind of going through and I was like, oh yeah, hey, there's Chuck, there's mm. Janie, there's all of these people <laughs> that I grew up with um, sitting in this one random zine that I picked up on a table mm. in a workshop that I almost like wasn't able to make in Portland. And I flipped to page 70 and there's the photographer of the same photo that I have on the sticker that is sitting oh, in really? front of us today. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's so great. So, you know, you just, you, you can't ever call it, you can't ever... Um, try to you can't ever try to make it happen it's, right. it's kind of like douglas adams said you know the mm. the the trick to flying is to fall and miss uh, <laughs> but if you keep trying you never know what might come around the corner uh and so i think for me what portland represents a lot of times is the joy of experiencing the unexpected uh and that's a really special thing about this town mm. i yeah, that is something that I, I think is very unique to this place. Um, I do want to backtrack just a little bit. Totally. And talk about the logistics of getting your art out into the world. You said you mostly use bike and mm-hmm. transit. Mm-hmm. Um, how has that influenced your craft? Mm. Or or maybe, maybe mm-hmm. uh, you never really uh, thought of it in this in these terms versus like if you just drove it by mm-hmm. truck car mm-hmm. or whatever 
Um, I have participated in events previously that required tents and tables, and and I I worked I worked for a car sharing company for a while, and my job then was to do setups. So, in general, you would just bring a lot of stuff. There's just like a lot of things that you would haul in with you, and the foundational or the fundamental way of me being dedicated to what I typically call human powered transportation. Mm-hmm. So that would be bicycles, walking, skateboards, scooters, transit, such, um, has forced me to simplify things tremendously. And the puzzles are large, basically large pieces of laminated paper. And I just roll them up. They don't weigh very much. But when they're displayed, they occupy five feet. They're three-odd three feet tall. They could be bigger. I could make them larger. I was having this conversation earlier today, and it, I, the difficulty of making them much bigger is that kids can't get at them. So ah. the puzzle styles that I use now mm-hmm. are such that five-year-olds could, could play often. And if I make them any larger, five-year-olds can't reach up to them. So that's that's been a threshold. It's like how how high can a five year old reach? Um, so it's, my stuff's lightweight. Um, I have only recently got a bike, and I was on a, the tenth and Burnside corner in front of Powell's, and I was having a conversation with somebody on Saturday two weeks ago, and they were not into puzzles, but we were still talking. And it came up that my bike is in disrepair. And the conversation ended up being like this person deciding they were going to fix my bike for me. <laughs> and while yeah. they were fixing my bike, they were going to give me another bike that they had already fixed, which has wow. now happened. And it's outside right now. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. This is not someone I never yeah. met before. <laughs> we're just chatting. Yeah. They don't like puzzles somehow or another. They've now taken my the bike that I have been carrying around with me for like over a year now that needs to be fixed, and 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 I've been riding a bike again, which has been amazing. So yeah, bikes are incredible. Um, I've had an ambition to get everything into one backpack, and I've pretty much got it. Yeah, I'm about to switch. I use the public infrastructure now, so I'm using ropes and telephone poles, and if I use a tree, I'll wrap it in, like, newspapers to make sure I don't damage the bark. And that also reduces the number of things that I've got to carry around with me, so I don't carry... I used to carry padding around, and I had a bigger bag, but I'm trying to work out of a smaller bag now. And it's mostly because it's just heavy to carry the same stuff around every day. And I've made all my own backpacks, so they're like definitely not ergonomic. Oh. <laughs> like, I, I took like mis, I dis, disabused like canvas and constructed a couple of backpacks out of it, and they they're good, but too much weight in them is not good. Um, it's it's been one of my challenges. I I like to I like to try to challenge myself to work within certain parameters. And, sure. And it's a game I've been playing since college. And I have had access to cars over the years. I I don't drive anymore. I don't have a license any longer, and I don't want one. But um, yeah, the, I think it's a lot of fun to get around and live your life without a car. 
because you're like that whole set of assumptions that are just automatic when you have a car are, are blown up. Like if you have a, there's just so many things that are easy when you have a car that even in a city that's well connected, you can't, you can't, just can't do the same kinds of things. So you don't try to. Yeah. No, I think it definitely changes um, how you problem solve. Yeah. Yeah. Which I, lo- I love that. Yeah. I, I mean, that's one of my favorite things about not having a car. A lot of times when, I don't mean to say anything about people that have cars, but like when you're dealing with people with cars, it's like there's a lot of things that are very simple for them, and it, it, that's great. But yeah, when you don't have a car, it's like, how <laughs> I like would how you I that. do that? <laughs> yeah. That was very nicely put. Well, yeah. One thing I've observed about cars is that if you have one and you're planning on using it, you you build your life in such a way that you need the car. So you, like you can't just like arbitrarily get rid of the car because sure. now you've you've decided to be over here at one part of the day and then over here at this other part of the day. And there are really distances that you wouldn't even attempt to cover if you didn't ha- have that as like an understanding right. of your mm-hmm. transportation. But like if you're a cyclist, there's there's a lot of freedom there. Yeah. And actually, I was going to ask you about your experiences on the bus because my experiences of the bus are. Divergent. It's a different. It's a different kind of lifestyle it's, than a cycling lifestyle. Oh yeah, most most definitely. You are beholden to somebody else's schedule. Yeah. For one. Um, but in that, going back to the the idea of problem solving, it, mm-hmm. it just creates another level of logistics to go through. Mm-hmm. Um, that, like, the bike can solve a lot of a lot of problems in a lot of different ways. Mm. Transit can solve maybe a little bit less problems. Mm-hmm. But you can still solve the same number of problems. You just have to maybe get more creative yep. with it. Um, the car can solve a lot of other different problems that maybe the bike or transit can't solve, mm-hmm. but only in a very specific way. And this is sort of something that I've been thinking about a lot mm-hmm. uh, as far as like complex systems and, and mm-hmm. how complex systems can be really resilient uh, mm-hmm. for a lot of things. But then there's always like just one or two things that that it just cannot solve. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times when I think about driving a car or or car ownership or using the car as as like your go to, mm-hmm. um, I think about parking mm-hmm. and what a pain mm-hmm. parking. And I I hope it always stays painful <laughs> in Portland, <laughs> in my opinion. But like, yeah. how many times? Um, when I've done like a uh, car to go or, or other car sharing things, like how many times I've used that as my sort of crutch mm. and then ended up circling the block looking mm-hmm. for a place to put it and realizing, like, right. you know, if I had biked here or even transited here, right. I, this is a problem I wouldn't have at all. Yeah. I would have solved the pro- the original problem without this device and then not have had the problem mm-hmm. that this device and caused me to solve. Mm. Car, car to go. I got an email recently. They're like they're they've done. suspended all North American all operations. North American operations. Yeah, oh. it's fascinating because I don't, I don't know, I don't know what about that is worth talking about. But <laughs> at one point, it it was happening. Yeah, and pe- people seem to be using it, and now it's not a thing at all. But yeah, same get, with is get around, get around still here. Zip, get around, zip, zip get around and Zipcar, I think, are the last two mm. surviving. And, and they Zipcar were sort of the not, first. Not at all what it used to be. <laughs> well, they, got, they were the first, they got, and they, they stuck around, apparently, you know. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. In, since I brought up the Zipcar thing, uh, I knew specifically that I wanted to do my own thing 
when I found out that Zipcar was like going public. That was like, it's like, oh, yeah, this is not the kind of thing I want to participate in. And that was like the moment (laughs) when I was walking across the bridge and like a friend texted me and I was like, what? And then I was like, oh, yeah, I don't. I don't want to do this. <laughs> <laughs> totally. They yeah. don't care. They, like, they don't even care about you. Mm. I mean, I don't, I, they like, I quit and then they, they got bought and they, they literally fired like everybody that worked in the city. There's like maybe one or two people that didn't get fired, but there used to be an office and it was originally an, uh, a startup. Yeah. And it, it, it was Flexcar. And before that there was a nonprofit in Portland. It was, Forgive me, but it was Portland Car Share or something. Huh. Um, yeah, and, and Flexcar came down from Seattle, and they became you know merged or whatever. And then later, Flexcar and Zipcar were competing. And I actually signed up for Flexcar first when I lived in Atlanta, and I thought I just thought car sharing was so cool. I was working for uh, like the Pergs, uh, environmental nonprofit, uh, uh, community organizing, fundraising operation. So and I was like, oh wow, car sharing so cool. And then those merged. And I know it's like so much of it has just kind of gotten wiped off now. It's, and that's what I was going towards. Yeah, it's interesting because we were talking about uh, the difficulty of parking and, you know, on, on my side of things. And it's not a widely held opinion or, or I would even mm-hmm. venture to say a popular opinion. But whenever mm-hmm. I have conversations with people about parking or mm-hmm. the cost of gas, uh, I, it's oftentimes the one where I'm like, yeah, gas should cost three times as much or four times <laughs> yeah. as much yeah. and and parking should be five or six times as much like it's ridiculous that uh-huh. you can pay you know two dollars yeah. and park for an hour downtown right and like i said it's not a popular widely held opinion but maybe that begets uh-huh possibly part of the reason why a lot of our car share is uh-huh. not around is that um mm. there are some very economic constraints that will encourage or discourage certain behavior Mm -hmm. and uh something that cheap parking discourages is Mm. car share that that's anecdotal but that's my opinion that's an interesting connection i would like to explore yeah (laughs) Um, you know i mean as a as from a public policy standpoint you can incentivize by making some things cheaper or you can make other things more expensive or harder my cork board and my newsprint uh-huh. my yarn make yeah. all the connections <laughs> oh yeah, the, that's the, nice the zine i made was cutouts of yarns with pin oh really yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'll have to show it to you it's all coming together <laughs> that's right it's all connected i'm gonna I, 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 I might lose my chance to say this otherwise uh i think it would be really smart to s- smoothify the city and that is to make way for small wheeled vehicles that would be roller, oh yeah rollerblades Skateboards, mm-hmm. razor scooters, razor scooters. Yeah. I feel like those are awesome ways for people who can get around in that fashion, and a lot, of, a lot of people can't, and that's okay. Uh, but I think if you scale it for the one, the other, I think, would also be easier. Mm. I, now, yeah, this, the infrastructure is, is terrible. Just kind of a kind of a jump to a conclusion here, but I, mm. I imagine because. Um, you can you can build bike lanes and you can uh-huh. build protected bike lanes, but someone mm. like say on on rollerblades mm-hmm. or or even roller skates wouldn't necessarily feel as comfortable in mm. that as they would like say a wider sidewalk, right? You know, Without the and, tuck, 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 right, tuck, 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 right, and and somebody uh, I have some experience uh, living with people in wheelchairs, and, mm. and whereas somebody in a wheelchair would definitely 
mm. rather be on a wider sidewalk mm-hmm. and share that with other people than mm. um and Right. And I hope I'm not putting words in, in someone someone's mouth here and I apologize if I do. But rather than like, you know, having to have this sidewalk for a time and then like skirt onto a, a lane because mm-hmm. the sidewalk is over and then like jump back onto mm-hmm. a sidewalk a block later. Yeah. Mm. I was uh that reminds me I didn't share any with the podcast, but I took a ton of photos when I helped my mom go down to uh, St. George. Yeah. 80% of them were of crosswalks and intersections because it's terrible down there. <laughs> oh, really? Like, there is, yeah. like, speaking of building things around a car-centric lifestyle, uh, like, there really is not a way that yeah. you would get more than a block, uh, in my observation, in a mobility assistive device because mm. you would be in a culvert or, oh, yeah. you know, on the sidewalk that doesn't exist mm-hmm. or maybe the one that does for a block and then that's all you get for five miles mm. uh yeah stuff like that you know there's you know kind of bringing it back around and maybe full circle in a way uh to our discussion of you know portland is always new um these are good things to think about mm. not in regards to the city today or a hundred years from now but maybe even towards the city uh that encourages a mobility focused lifestyle uh, mm-hmm. that doesn't necessarily depend on you know fossil fuels mm-hmm. and or uh, large four-wheeled vehicles mm. uh, as, as density grows and uh, the city reveals what it is to come um yeah that that's all the news from like <laughs> <Wobegon. laughs> uh joshua yeah. if anybody is looking to find your work or check out more about you where should they go I am probably best found on Instagram, and my Instagram is at ukodas.rocks, U-K-O-D. Typically, it's enough to find it if you're searching on Instagram. So if you do U-K-O-D, it's ukodas.rocks. Ukodas is Sudoku written backwards. So (laughs) U-K-O-D-U-S dot R-O-C-K-S. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I still have a GoFundMe page up. It's a... The ambitions to raise like a million and some odd dollars, a little over two thousand, um, and that's like GoFundMe slash Ukotas. Okay, and that I like that one because it it's a it's got my story, so you can read up on like five years of me having my my changes, mm-hmm. kind of what inspired them specifically. So, yeah, gotcha. sweet. Um, well. On behalf of ourselves, thank you so much for yeah. coming in tonight and sharing the studio with us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, appreciate your time. You know, speaking of parking, you may not find a parking spot near Southeast Division at 12th. In but, fact, you probably won't. <laughs> yeah, you probably won't. But you might, you will always find a seat for yourself right there at the Beer Mongers on Southeast Division at 12th. That's right. The Beer Mongers, Southeast Division and 12th, where the bike racks are plentiful and there's a stick on the ceiling that you can ask people about and contemplate <laughs> while you have a beverage. Um, the eternal and ever so generous sponsor of the show, uh, thanks to the Beer Mongers for providing our beverages this eve. Joshua, what are you enjoying? Killing it over there, by the way. I'm, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm drinking root beer. Nice. Yep. Um, I am drinking 
water tonight because <laughs> I got down there and I realized I forgot the gift card. Oh, snap. Really? <laughs> so, um, oh. Yeah, I, I had enough cash for Joshua. <laughs> but um, we will we'll be re- replenishing next week. <laughs> but water is nice. I like water, too. Um, and guess what? If you don't like beer or root beer, they've got water at the beer mongers. They do have water. And it's there. Portland water, so it's super good. <laughs> what are you having over there, Aaron? <laughs> also Portland water. <laughs> That's right. Hot diggity. Uh, well, thanks as always to the beer mongers for supporting the show. And uh, we'll catch that read next week. In the meantime. I love, I love, I love, I love. Don't, don't ever use that. All right, Tim. Here we go. Gladys Bikes, The Passing of the Torch Party at the Either Or on February 28th. That's a Friday. And Maddie and Maria get to Trask Thursday, February 27th, airing at 8.30 p.m. on OPB. Or you can come to the viewing at Evolution Fitness Wednesday, March 18th at 7 p.m. And there will be a link to the Facebook event in the show notes. February 15th is the Chariot Wars here in Portland at Essex City Park. And Saturday, May 9th, the Mohawk Valley Metric Century, put on by Eugene Vello at Armitage Park in Eugene. August 13th, Hophead 100 in Independence, Oregon. And August 15th, the Swift Summit 200-100 version 4 in Lebanon, Oregon. August 16th, the Swift Summit Northwest Hill Climb Location unknown. And the second Thursday of every month is the Joyful Riders Club in Minneapolis. The first Friday of every month, the San Francisco Bike Party. The second Friday of every month, the Boston Bike Party. Also the second Friday of every month, the Indianapolis Bike Party. Also, also the second Friday of every month, the East Bay Bike Party. Third Friday of every month is the San Jose Bike Party. And the last Friday of every month is the Baltimore Bike Party. The first Saturday of every month here in Portland is the Civil Unrest Ride. And every second Sunday of every month right here in Portland is the Corvidai Bike Club Ride. The last Sunday of every month is the Vintage and Classic Ride in Huntsville, Alabama. And upcoming Film by Bike Tour dates, LA, California, February 9th. That is... Yesterday. Already come and gone. Uh, Seattle, Washington, February 28th. Columbus, Ohio, March 1st. Idaho Falls, Idaho, March 5th. Ithaca, New York, March 10th. Bend, Oregon, March 19th. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, March 22nd. Bend, Oregon, April 16th. Sacramento, California, May 6th. And the 18th annual Film by Bike right here in the Hollywood Theater in Portland, Oregon is May 14th through the 17th. Crested Butte, Colorado, June 25th, and Alvdal, Norway, September 4th. What can compare with the thrill of a brand new bike? I like my bike, it's fast. I like my bike, it's fast. I like my bike, it's fast. It circles around the city lights. And news from Brock Titus, there is a new annual pass in the Gorge. That's right. There's been or have been a lot of great Gorge deals going on lately, and it just keeps getting better. What also keeps getting better is I can't find where I buried the window. (laughs) Trying to figure this out. Yeah. 
Keep segueing. That's, <laughs> it's that's working for you. Web development. <laughs> you have 14 different desktops. The Gorge on the Go for only $30. Whoa. The release says getting around the beautiful Columbia River Gorge is now easier than ever with the new annual Gorge Pass. Annual. That's that, right. That must mean it lasts the whole year. I hope so. That's usually what that word means. <laughs> but if you're like me and get the month wrong because you're on the American versus European system, your mileage may vary. <laughs> An annual pass for the Columbia Area Transit's fixed route services includes annual Columbia Gorge Express service between Portland, Multnomah Falls, Cascade Locks, Hood River, and the Dalles. Includes seasonal Gorge to Mountain Express Ooh. service, which is super sweet, yes. between Hood River and Mount Hood Meadows and is valid through December 31st of 2020. $30 for adults, 15 for children, 17 and under. And these introductory <laughs> prices are available through May 18th. So yeah, still got a little this bit is, to go. This is a really good deal in that just using the uh, Columbia Gorge Express mm -hmm. just one time, I think is it's a $11 round trip, right? Am I understanding I feel, that? I feel like that's right. So you got three, three, times three a trips year. in. I've already I've already made a little bit back. Boom. Yes. That's free money. Well, kind of. Uh, yeah, I was all sad about car share on decline. And, get, you know, who needs car share when you can get when out to get, the gorge yes, all year good for 30 transit bucks. options like this. Not too shabby. Um, the annual Gorge Pass was our only headline, which means... You're taking a lot of responsibility in owning and riding a bicycle. For you are now an operator of a wheeled vehicle. Congratulations. We have some mail. Ooh, and by do that, we? I mean We got mail. Hey, we, we got, got mail. voicemail. That's right. We've got a voicemail from Heather. Hey Sprocket Podcast. My name is Heather and I'm from Oakland. And I had life hacks for you because yes, I know you've been low on those lately. <laughs> um, I Listen up to One is, and it's not as relevant now that the days are getting longer, but at night when I'm walking across the street and there's like zebra stripes on the ground, I use my phone light, the LED light, and I shine it down at the ground to illuminate the zebra stripes that I'm walking on. And I think it gives me some more visibility oh, to the people yeah. around. It's really helped in some pretty dark places that don't have a lot of street lighting. The second life hack is if you have a fourth grader, you should sign them up for Every Kid in the Park. It's a program created by Obama and fourth graders and their families get free entrance to all national parks um, for the course of their fourth grade, fourth grade year from Labor Day until or like September 1st until October 31st, um, fourth grade up until like the beginning of the fifth grade. So that is also um, a life hack if you happen to have a fourth grader. Super useful. Very specific um, and life hack. Have a lovely spring, and I will be listening. Bye. Thanks, Heather. Yeah, thank you, Heather. I really like the, well, I like both of those life hacks. One applies, one is able to apply slightly more to my circumstance. I love the cell phone trick. Uh, yes. I use that all the time crossing MLK. I, I'm now considering adoption. Specifically nice. of a fourth grader. Well, hey, you're going to get a great deal <laughs> uh, on a fourth grade national park. <laughs> yeah, those are great life hacks. Uh, thank you so this much. This is amazing. Yeah, thank you very much. For voice in, Heather. And to all of our listeners, uh, 
we have a voicemail. So if you don't like writing us uh, the old-fashioned way or the newfangled way, uh, you can call us on either a rotary or a non-analog phone and leave us a voicemail. I think uh, this was actually perfect because I think it was right at the limit of our uh, box. But I think I think it's like two minutes on the voicemail. Three, I three. believe. Okay. Yes, we have had voicemails <laughs> cut short. Um, so if you've got something to say in three minutes or slightly shorter, uh, give us a ring. And with that, um, I had I had asked Josh while we were maybe on a, a cut break there. But y- you have a saying that you that you offer to people um, at on departure, or I'm guessing at other times as well. Uh, and I love it. Uh, would you be able to <laughs> to let us in on that saying and uh, a little bit of its uh, origin story? Yeah, uh, I very frequently tell people to stay in trouble, and that was inspired by John Lewis who is a civil rights hero and amazing human being. Uh, I just looked up the original quote, and so I'll read it. It says, I want to see young people in America feel the spirit of the 60s and find a way to get in the way, to find a way to get in trouble, good trouble, necessary trouble. So that's the quote. Uh, Usually when I say it to people, they kind of give me a funny look. And uh, I I like that. <laughs> yeah. Nice. I, I also tell people to talk to strangers. <laughs> yeah. I like it how it's a contrast of like what a lot of uh, adults or, or um, older humans would say to younger humans. You uh-huh. know, stay out of trouble. Yeah. You know. Right. Stay in trouble, kids. Yeah, stay in trouble. <laughs> mm-hmm. And with that, uh, to all you Sprocket podcast listeners... Stay in trouble. Right on. The Sprocket Podcast is produced at X-Ray Studios thanks to the generous support of our Patreon supporters and listeners. Our website is thesprocketpodcast.com. Email to thesprocketpodcast at gmail.com. Call or text to 503-847-9774. Twitter and the Instagrams at Sprocket Podcast. Thanks to Ryan J. Lane for our theme music. Kurt Bird for our headlines sounder. Marcus Norman for graphic design. And thanks to our sustaining donors, Shadowfoot, Wayne Norman, Eric Iverson, Cameron Lean, Richard Wazinski, Tim Mooney, Glenn Kubish, Matt Kelly, Eric Weiss, Todd Carp, sorry, Todd Parker, Dan Gebhardt, who's a time traveler, Dave, Dave knows. I wanted to say that one. Chris, <laughs> Caleb Jenkinson, JP Keeley, Peanut Butter Jar Matt, Marco Lowe, Rich Otterstrom, Andrew in Colorado, Drew the Welder, Anna. I'll He'll be, home, be soon. home soon. Andre Johnson, King of Division, Richard G. Guthrie Straw, who's sitting right next to me. I oh, won't let you say what? your own name this That's time. Me. Aaron Greer, <laughs> Green, author of We Are Like Sons and founder of The Regrainery. Campsite, Mac Nurse David, Nathan Poulton. Rory in Michigan, Michael Flournoy. Jeremy Kitchen, David Belay, Tim Coleman, Harry Hugel, EJ Finneran, Brad Hipwell, Thomas Skato, Keith Hutchinson, Ranger Tom, Joyce Wilson, Ryan Tam, Jason Offenberg, Microcosm Publishing, David Moore, Todd Grosbeck, Chris Barron, Chris, Chris Barron, Chris Barron, Sean Baird, Simon Gregory Braithwaite, Brian Morrow, Dude Luna, Matthew Rooks, Kaka! Marshall, Paulo at Funitake Cyclecraft, Philip M. Spartandale, no relation. Mr. T, who never really left. Bike Initiative, Keweenaw, Sarah G. Adam D, Go Dig a Hole, Beth Hammond. Greg Murphy, Myra Martinez, Oso. Isaac M, and to all of our former donors who've helped us get this far. Now, brush your teeth and go to bed. <laughs>